Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of the Kinetic Fitness Show. My name is Ali West, I'm your host and I welcome all of my listeners to this episode today. Whether you are brand new, this is your first episode or whether you are a returning listener, welcome back. Great to have you all on board and it's the new year. Happy new year to you guys. It's 2019. This is my first podcast episode of the year. Had a little bit of downtime over Christmas and New Year and the festive period. Chilled out. Me and my wife went away to Wales. We climbed Mount Snowdon. That was pretty cool. And yeah, just a general chill out over the festive period. But I'm back, ready to hit this year hard. I hope you guys listening in are ready to make the most of this year as well. And I'm going to start off this year, this podcast, with a fantastic guest. My first guest of the year. This is going to be a super duper inspirational podcast. Before I introduce today's guest, let's get you all to subscribe to the podcast. If you aren't already a subscriber or a follower to my podcast, to the Kinetic Fitness Show, then please do so right now. Pause this, click that like, follow or subscribe button and you will be updated with all of my latest episodes. Secondly, if you haven't left me a review yet, please leave me a review. On iTunes, you can jump on there, click leave a review, write me a brief review, tell me what you're enjoying about the podcast, tell me maybe what your favorite episode was, and that will help me out massively. Third and final thing is if you are on Instagram, you're enjoying the podcast, take a screenshot of it, of you listening to it, or if you are on Spotify listening to it, share that through your Instagram story or through your feed and I will share that with my followers as well. Tag me in it. My handle is Ali West Fitness, A-L-I-W-E-S-T Fitness, and I will share that with all of my followers. If you can as well, leave the hashtag on it, The Kinetic Fitness Show, and that's Kinetic, K-I-N-E-T-I-K. That's enough about that. Let's move on. Let me tell you a little bit about today's guest, but he will be telling you more. My guest today is Nick Butter. Nick is from the UK here. He is from Bristol and he is an ultra runner, an endurance athlete, an adventurer, a charity fundraiser, public speaker. He's got so many strings to his bow, but his main passion and his main focus is endurance running. He is attempting to run a marathon in every single country in the world. He's going to do 196 marathons in 196 countries. I'm just going to let that sink in for you for a little moment. Yeah, probably thinking, sounds crazy. I thought the same when I found out about Nick. But he is a super inspirational and super determined guy. And I can't wait to share this episode with you and share his story. We recorded this episode um, from his hotel room in Bahrain at the time he was in Bahrain and he had just completed his 102nd marathon crazy or what and that was his 102nd marathon in his 102nd country around the world the man is amazing he's running the world and he's doing this for a very special reason a special cause as well which he's going to tell you more about in this podcast episode. So guys, I can't wait to share this one with you. I can't stress enough how much I enjoyed recording this episode, how great it was to speak to Nick, share his story, dip into his knowledge and his wisdom. It's such an amazing 
story and he's an amazing guy so let's not waste any more time that's enough about that that's enough of me rattling on without any further ado let's introduce nick butter and get started with episode number 34 of the kinetic fitness show hope you enjoy guys Hi Nick, are you okay? Can you hear me? Hello, yes, I can hear you Ali, thanks. We're recording, how are you today? I'm good. Um, <laughs> I'm, <laughs> my answer always is tired, hungry, uh, <laughs> and more tired again. No, I'm good. I am currently in Bahrain on the 24th floor of a very nice building. Um, I was fortunate enough to get a, a, a couple of nights free in this five-star place overlooking the water. Um, so I'm currently in Bahrain, um, and I've just finished having some dinner, and tomorrow morning I fly at about six o'clock to Dubai, so it's always busy for me, but yeah, I'm, I'm pretty good. Good man, and today you completed marathon number 102, am I right? That's correct, yes, marathon 102. Um, it was hot, because uh, recently I have, it's actually quite interesting today, it was 20, up to 26 degrees, 25, 26 degrees. Um, but recently, obviously, I ran last year for four months in Africa when it was 45, and I was getting used to that. You know, it was hot, but I was getting used to it. Um, but then I've, I've, over the last nine weeks, I've been running in, um, like, Russia and Estonia and all the Baltic countries, and it's been in minus, you know, <laughs> minus 10, minus 11. And so... Jumping back up to 26 degrees feels just like 44 degrees again, 45 degrees. Um, so it's completely bizarre to be you know, really, really sweaty and hot all of a sudden after having like loads of layers on and, and having numb hands. So yeah, it's been a, an interesting day, but it's really nice here in Bahrain. Um, I, I don't, wasn't really sure what to expect, but it's, uh, it's absolutely beautiful, really clean, really friendly, had loads of waves. Yeah, it's been a, been a pretty good one today. Awesome. I've... Uh been following you closely on instagram so i've seen some of the pictures and it looks like a pretty cool place yeah it's uh, it's it's kind of and i suppose they'll probably hate me for saying it but it's kind of mini dubai um and there's so much construction going on all over the place uh, i i really wasn't expecting anything like it obviously you can go further into the country further inland and it's and it's not the same but it's obviously still a very wealthy country so yeah it's um pretty much the same story with every country it's always my perceptions of places were completely knocked out of the park and replaced with actual actual you know realistic views on the world so yeah basically don't listen to anything you hear in the in the press <laughs> yeah yeah nice okay before we get stuck in some of the questions that i'd like to ask today can you give the listeners and myself i guess a bit of a brief backstory about who you are what you do, where you come from and where you are. Well, we know where you are now, but a little bit of a brief backstory would be great. Yeah, of course. So, um, okay, yeah. So I started running years and years ago when I was 11. I, I ran my first marathon. Um, after that, uh, you know, normal life happens um, and you go to school, you get a job and all that sort of stuff. I was a skier for a, for a while. Um, I was in uh, Snow Sports England, so I was a slalom skier. Um, sport's always been in my in my blood, um, and basically anything that involves being outdoors, being a bit competitive, and and not having a uh, what I would call a, a a keyboard monkey job. So anything that involves sitting behind a desk yeah. um, 
having said that, I then got a real job and did exactly that. Um, I was in banking, um, and therefore it just wasn't for me. It wasn't the kind of lifestyle. So after that, I took the very courageous, and I'm very proud of myself for doing it, actually, because it was one of those things that um, I wanted to do for a long time and then finally made the jump partly into into running, and, and then I got sponsored by by Red Bull and some other sponsors, and I, uh, it kind of took off from there. Um, and then I was running out in the uh, Marathon de Sable foot race, so the, the big ultra through the, uh, through the Sahara Desert in Morocco, um, and that was, uh, what, three, four years ago now, three years ago, um, and I met this brilliant guy called Kevin Weber, Google him, he's a really lovely chap, um, and he and I just got on, and he was almost to the point that he was annoyingly happy, you know those people who think, why on earth are you so happy? And then I got stuck into the kind of understanding him. And then he dropped this horrendous bombshell that he had terminal prostate cancer. Um, and it was one of those kind of jaw-dropping conversations where you think, how on earth is this guy doing the same thing, spending the time talking to me? You know, so many things go around your head. And I've never really spoken to somebody that was like that, that was terminally ill. And he was obviously living out his, his dream. Um, having the knowledge that he was told that he could live for as little as just two years. And so and that had a profound effect. And I already had the kind of the, the background and the, the back, um, uh, I suppose, the motivation to, to go into this kind of world of running and adventure. Um, but he was completely the tipping point where I decided, look, you know what, I'm never going to get back to an office job because there are so many other things out there. Um, and his words to me out in the desert were, where don't wait for a diagnosis. And those words hit me and stuck with me. Uh, and I thought about them ever since. And obviously what he's talking about is you never know when your time's up and let's not you know, take for granted the next day and assume that we're going to wake up and, and carry on with our life. Um, so many people plan for their, their pensions and what they're going to do when they get old. But the reality is an awful lot of people out there through whatever means don't make it to old age. And it sounds horrible, but that is the reality of life. Um, and so I started to, to talk about this much more in, in my corporate speaking. And um, I kind of just lived by his example and then came up with this mad idea that I wanted to do something to support him um, with with his prostate cancer and, and, and do something that was uh, significant. Um, and so within a short space of time, I'd forged this idea in my mind that I wanted to raise £250,000 for Prostate Cancer UK and I wanted to set a world record um, and do something that never that has never been done. Uh, and then uh, basically it just escalated, it got a bit out of hand uh, and the, uh, the, the, the trip was born. So the idea was to, to, to run a marathon in every country in the world, uh, all 196 of them, um, and do it for Kevin for Prostate Cancer UK. Um, and two years later, uh, after two years of planning, um, I then began the trip um, on January the 6th, 2018, um, with the view that it was going to take me uh, less than two years, ideally 18 months, um, but we've stretched it now to just 23 months. Um, and so it was, uh, it was incredibly powerful and completely I can't stress enough it was genuinely life-changing having those conversations with Kevin uh, and there was an awful 
a lot of other people in the tent at the time. Um, I'm sure some of your listeners will, will know the Marathon de Sable race, but it's it's a seven-day race through the Sahara Desert, um, 280 kilometers. Um, you carry your own food and drink, um, so you carry about 10 kilos on your back, and you, you, you get on with everybody that you meet. Um, because you have to, but also I had a particularly lovely group of people in my tent, um, and they just forged this path for me, you know. And I, I decided to do this trip, and what three hundred and eighty days later, here I am. I'm in Bahrain, having run one hundred and two marathons. Amazing. That is a super powerful short story. Yeah. You've broken it down there into a very few minutes, but that's amazing, and it's a great way i believe to to live your life it's very true you don't know what's going to happen you don't know what's around the corner and if more people just did what they were passionate about and and lived like that yeah. i think the world would genuinely be a better place so that's i think it's um it's it's very it's very interesting because lots of my friends and i think most people in the world generally that are in the in western society when you've gone through the education system you are almost institutionalized to believe that the aim in life is money um, that then forms happiness and then you die and actually if people just focus and again it's completely my belief so you you don't know if it's right but it's how I live my life now go and do the things that you love do them well invest completely and utterly fully you know I'm absolutely broke Um, I've put everything into this trip Um, and it's an investment, you know, it's it's living by his example, you know, it's not just raising the money for prostate cancer and doing it for him and getting the world record, it's doing what I love. I love running, I love photography, I love writing, and so if by the end of the trip I haven't got a penny for prostate cancer uh, and nobody buys my book, you know, I haven't lost, it's not an investment that I can lose because I've had such a great experience doing so. Fortunately, we are raising a decent amount of money um, and hopefully fingers crossed people will buy the book and watch the documentary but you know it's one of those things if you just go out and do the thing that you love uh you you can't really go wrong um and too many people i believe fall by the wayside and and miss that point out yeah for sure give me and the listeners then a little bit more context on how the running the world 196 came about so like when like just give me a bit more information like yeah well how did it come about how do you say right do you know what i'm going to go and do a marathon in every country in the world and we're going to do it in this time how did that really come to fruition and and be set in stone so, yeah i'm i'm very much a I'm kind of all or nothing person and i have this um not a lot of people know this actually i have a a an a4 piece of paper um, which I've had for a very long time. It's in an envelope, and it has all of the things that I want to achieve. And I have a very uh, strict rule that if I put the if I put it on the list, um, it has to happen. Um, so I think very carefully about whether or not it needs to go on the list. And at the moment, I'm considering whether or not I want to climb El Capitan. Which yeah. is, I'm not a climber. Um, you know, people know El Capitan in Yosemite Valley, um, and I've thought about it for probably maybe three years, and it's not gone on the list yet because I don't know if I have the the ability and all sorts of other things to put it on the list. So when something goes on that list, it happens. And very quickly after meeting Kev, I did a lot of research about prostate cancer um, and about all sorts of all sorts of methods that he was talking to me about living life and all this sort of stuff. Um, and it was actually a very short period of time. It was probably me in my own head 
um, over a couple of days. And this was not this wasn't me actively thinking about it. This was just like, okay, so what am I going to do? I wonder what I'll do. And then it came to me that I wanted to do a run in in all of the seven continents. And then I looked up what had been done and how fast things had been done and blah blah blah. And then I had some conversations a very very long time ago when I was young. And one of the things that we, we talked about was, oh, wouldn't it be nice to go to every country in the world? And that kind of thing, when you're young, comes and goes without you really considering that it ever could be a possibility. Um, and so, almost instantly in my mind, it was, oh, okay, every country in the world, let's look up how many there are, let's look up to see how many people have been to every country, and then do some rough calculations on what it would be to, to, to get there financially. Because, and again, I can't stress this enough, the one of the biggest challenges in the top three of the biggest challenges of this journey has been financing the, the trip. Yeah. Um, and so I had these conversations with my parents. I sat them down and I said, right, I'm going to, I'm going to do this challenge. I'm going to, I'm going to stop my usual life and I'm going to go away um, and run a marathon in every country in the world. And, you know, their reactions like always with me are okay. He's obviously serious about this, but have you considered this, this and this? And then we started to research stuff. Um, and I suppose there's a, a couple of things that we got wrong. Um, so number one, we assumed that it would cost about hopefully less than a hundred thousand pounds to do the trip. Um, and realistically, uh, it's probably going to cost over 500,000 pounds. Um, so it's, uh, it's a lot of money. Um, we got that wrong. Um, and we also got the resource resourcing wrong. I believed that between my parents and I, and maybe a couple of friends, that we could we could pull the trip off, um, and it would be fairly fairly doable in in, in the logistical sense. I just needed to keep my body up, um, and it, it turns out that it's completely the wrong way round. Um, my body is holding up relatively well, but the logistical side, I now have about nineteen people that are supporting the trip and I have paid employees that work uh, work for me um, and so that is a big part of where the budget went uh, you know I didn't consider that we'd have to have a security company involved um, that I would likely need a psychologist when you're in one of the 54 African countries and you're being put in a cell overnight that kind of stuff it shakes you and you need to you need to uh, have somebody to speak to, and then you need a nutritionist, um, and then you need to have somebody that manages your flights, somebody that manages all your visas. I need 90 visas on this trip. So it, it very quickly um, spiraled from the first six months of planning being, right, okay, we need to do this, this, and this. And I had a huge wall um, on uh, on one of the rooms in my, in my flat, uh, and it had a map on it, and it had hundreds and hundreds of post-its with individual actions and we then group them all together with with little sections and categories of how we do it um, and then we realized that we we really needed help um, there's a great friend of mine who was also in the desert um, called Jeff Smith um, and for your listeners if you look up uh, a non-profit called Big Moose based in Cardiff um, he runs this this nonprofit that do brilliant things like disabled triathlons, helping the homeless. He's just started a coffee shop with his daughter Chloe um, that have uh, that have set this coffee shop up purposely for employing homeless people and training them up as um, uh, to, to work in the coffee shop. Um, 
And he he had a conversation with me one day and said, you know what, you really do need an assistant. And I said, well, I can't afford it. Uh, and he said, it will it will completely be worthwhile. You just need to invest. And I, that, that thought stuck with me. And before long, I interviewed someone and employed almost instantly because I realised that I couldn't do this alone. Um, and then that spiralled out of control and we had loads of people. So, <laughs> yeah, it was, um, it's a, it was a basically a big snowball effect. You say originally it was just obviously just you and a few friends uh, planning it yeah. and doing the logistics and stuff. Um, at what point did you did you think, oh right, I need to scale this up. I need to get more people. Was it it was it quite soon into the journey, or was it um, further along? Nine months, nine months into the planning. So I consider the the trip now. So I've been away for for well twelve months, uh, just over twelve months. Um, but I consider the, the the planning stage as being two years. So we're now really three years in. So after the first nine months of the planning, um, we then had decent conversations with we need to find somebody, and then after about ten months, we we got people. Um, yeah, it got was. And a lot of those were volunteers. You know, I have a brilliant editor called Dawn who I who I met while I was doing one of my um, my corporate gigs um, in Bristol, and she came to me and said, you know, do you need anybody to edit your content? And she volunteered her services, and she's she's still doing a brilliant job. And so, my book, my blogs, um, various posts, bits and pieces, she does some editing for me, and uh, and that's that's a really great thing to have. But you know, you don't think of that kind of stuff, but actually. It takes away the stress of have I got this right? Have I made silly mistakes? Um, I do my own Instagram and there's mistakes all over it, but it doesn't matter because it's Instagram. But stuff, stuff that lasts a long time, that that is decent content on my blog, needs to be written correctly. So, so yeah, it's um, it was about about nine or ten months in when we started to scale it up. Got you. What I want to talk about next, then, Nick, is the is is the motivation, the determination. I know you've ran in many different countries and I know a couple of days ago you was in Pakistan and it was hammering it down with rain and you were soaking wet just give me some context on what keeps you going like what keeps you driving forward on those days where you're soaking wet or you're freezing cold or you're boiling hot or your feet hurt what what's the motivation and what's what keeps you trucking forward yeah I think and again I, I, I don't think it's just me when I say when you do something like this, and when you get to the point, you know, I, I ran, I ran close to forty thousand miles in my life, so I've done a lot of running, and it, it, even in Pakistan is a very good example because it was a horrible run. It was a very unenjoyable pain. I had a trapped nerve in my foot as well. It was, it was very, very unenjoyable. But at no point, and completely genuinely, at no point did I think, oh, I'm going to stop now, because the whole point of this journey is that it's hard and. If you understand that from the beginning, and you truly understand it from the beginning, and you want it enough, that thought doesn't enter your head. Um, and don't get me wrong, there's many days, including this morning, when my alarm goes off and I think, oh, I don't want to get up now. <laughs> and then you force yourself to get up, you get out of bed, you open the curtains, you look at the view, and you think, look, this is what I'm doing, and you go for it, and you go through it, it's almost autopilot. And so at no point do I think I'm, I want to stop because a you have the motivation for kev and for prostate cancer 
but it's more just the ingrained the the the, the, the in nature of what you're doing is supposed to be hard. So if you give up when it's hard, then why bother starting in the first place? Um, and I think for many, probably many of your listeners as well, it's if, if it was easy, then I'd probably want to give up more, if that makes sense. You know, if somebody said, oh, just jog around a track, I'd be like, oh, no, I'm not going to bother. Yeah. Because what's the point? You know, and if it's harder, you want to do it more. So um, I, I had a particular experience out in the desert, and I don't know if you know this, but um, the, the, obviously the race is 280 kilometers um, and in the last 40 miles of the race uh, I broke my ankle um, and the race is expensive to enter I trained for it for a long time I was doing pretty well um, and I, I didn't want to quit but I had a broken ankle um, and uh, one of the one of the um, members of uh, what's it called the the committee basically came and looked at me and said, "Yeah, we're gonna have to uh, have to take you away." And they they sent for somebody to get the helicopter to take me out of the race. Um, and at that point, I managed to speak to one of the the doctors, the volunteer doctors, um, and they found me a crutch. Um, uh, and I managed to uh, crutch the last forty miles of the race. Wow! Um, in sand, and to put it into context, the last ten kilometers took me six hours. Um, and I was in absolute agony. I had more blisters on my hands than I did on my feet um, because of the, the crutches. Um, and that's the whole point. Once you've done lots of things like that that are accumulative, you start to realise a bit of rain and a bit of a sore foot, you know, unless I'm physically passed out, then I will continue. Um, and it's uh, the thing with running is there's very few things that you can do other than run in front of a car, that you're going to get permanent damage from. You know, you're going to get knee problems, you might get some spinal fractures, you might get all sorts of stuff, but you're not really going to get big-time permanent life-changing damage from, from running through a pain. And so once you know that, just crack on. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's kind of a... If you'd asked me this when I was 10, 11 years old, by the way, I was incredibly shy, I was definitely somebody that was determined, but... I wasn't. I, I hadn't learned to be determined for the right reasons, and so I think it takes a lot of a lot of practice. And just like Mo Farah says, it's just if you want to if you want to get better at something, you just have to do it more. Um, and the, the getting better at the something isn't running; it's being determined. So you know, I, I think it's just a learned behaviour. Yeah, it's a brilliant attitude. And I think going off what you've said, all of those experiences that you've had that in the desert and maybe other stuff that's happened have, have set you up for this journey that you're currently on and, and have given you that experience yeah. and that that drive and determination to just, just to just to do it and, and prove to everyone that yeah. you can. Yeah, exactly. It's it's that's it and I want uh, I wanna do this trip for Kev. I wanna get the money for prostate cancer. I wanna be able to speak about it afterwards. I wanna have my career. I wanna have all the the photo exhibition um, we're launching my foundation. We have so much stuff going on. Um, and ultimately, it still comes back to every couple of days going to a new country and running 26 miles in a place that you've never known or never seen. And it, I, I had a few kind of snotty comments every now and then, not very many, but a couple at the beginning of saying, oh, isn't it just a holiday you going running around the world? And um, on one hand, that's absolutely the point. It's supposed to be living my dream because that's Kev's, Kev's advice. It's go and do what you love. But on the other hand, 
if you saw my day to day, I think you'd call it hell, not not a holiday. Yeah, it's 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 very very tough. Um, and the running side is just a very small fraction of it. You have all of the other. If you just take the fact that you have a new country, whether it be Afghanistan or whether it be France, if you turn up somewhere and you're fatigued anyway, you have to consider not just getting that one done, but you have to be mindful that you have another potentially 195 ahead of you, spanning two years. And it, you know you can't ever get yourself to the to the point where you've run your body and your mind and your finances so far into the ground that you can't finish it. Um, so there's so much stress that goes on, and and that is one of the things I've found the hardest because because it doesn't go away easily. You know, the more you think about it, the more it gets worse. It's like kind of a um, a spiral effect. So yeah, yeah. Well, uh, fly flying for most people is stressful. Just going on holiday and never mind. You've done 161 <laughs> flights already. Is, some, is, is that right? 161, 162? That's right. That's right. 161. Yeah. 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 So I mean, <laughs> that that just proves it for me because I get stressed going to Blooming Tenerife. Or <laughs> so, so yeah, yeah right. I can completely so, understand that. Yeah. The, uh, the flying, the flying element is uh, <laughs> I've got very used to now, um, but. Yeah, even the amount of time you just sit in a cramped seat with getting told to, you know, I can recite the um, the safety announcements. <laughs> I know, you know, all of that little stuff. It becomes quite homely, actually. Um, I had a very strange feeling when well, I had about ten days back at home over the Christmas and New Year, which was my kind of middle of the trip planned break to to reset and restock and and think about you know getting to the last half done. And I came out. To Pakistan and then I flew to here and I I basically I feel more at home on the road with my bag than I do when I'm at home I felt really restless and uneasy being at home um, which was a very very surreal feeling because you think oh, I'm gonna rest and go home now and it didn't feel like home because it hadn't, hadn't been my home for a year so um, it was it was pretty odd yeah you've built that habit though haven't you of being one flight to the next, next country, and, yeah. and that's that's your routine and that's your ritual, so to speak. So I can, again, I can completely understand that. Yeah. It leads me nicely on then with all the flying and all the all the stuff you're doing, all these marathons that you're doing. It leads me nicely on to my next question, and and that is in relation to the recovery. So, how do you recover, and like, what does your recovery look like when you're traveling so much and you're running so much? What what is your recovery um, protocol? <laughs> Yeah, so my recovery protocol is what, what most runners would just be described as shocking. <laughs> I uh, I had I don't do a lot. Um, I used to do all sorts of rolling and like an hour of stretching and lots of ice baths and all sorts of stuff. Um, and I had some great advice from a runner called Elizabeth Barnes, who is a, a big ultra runner. She's um, I think she's British, Swedish, I can't remember, but she um, she's very good and she, she's, she's won a couple of the, the desert races among other things and she gave good advice at a Q&A session I attended once which was once you've finished running just do nothing because ultimately that's what your body wants to do. Um, now if you're a new runner and you go and run a marathon 
and then your legs are absolutely, you can hardly move the next day. If you do nothing and then try and run again in two days, it will be absolute agony and, and that's not the right thing to do. But my body has become, like you say, attuned to what I'm doing. Uh, and it's exactly the same with the calorie intake that I have. So when I travel with, so I, I spent a month with my friend Danny in Europe and he was coming along to take some photos and do a bit of uh, recording for the documentary and generally having some, some time off with me. Um, and he was shocked at the amount of, uh, or the lack of food I ate, uh, because I'm supposed to be, uh, you know, speaking to my nutritionist at the beginning, we were, we were talking about maybe having about 5,000 calories, 5,200. Um, yeah, my, my body is now so attuned to, the, to what I eat that I'm just eating pretty much exactly the same as anybody else would eat, um, because it's got into the habit of, of using the calories right and understanding what energy I've got. And it's exactly the same for having less sleep, not needing to, to do as much stretching. Um, so if you park that and basically make, I'm making the point that I don't do a lot in terms of active recovery. The, the only things I do do is if I've had a particularly hot or hilly run, I will um, get two big bags of ice from the hotel or wherever I'm staying um, and I'll just leave them on my legs, my upper legs on the top and under the bottom. And then do that same with my with my calves and my shins um, and my feet. Um, and that will probably be on there for about half an hour. Um, and I definitely know that, that icing your legs certainly works. And it just it's obviously painful because it gets to the point where you can't feel your legs. Um, but I only do that in, in cases where I've got, you know, very, very quick turnarounds in countries or where I feel like my legs need it. Um, and I know my body now so well that even if I have a, a sugar dip, if I'm running, I know, right, okay, I'll have half a can of Fanta or something in it from a service station and I'll be right as rain. You know, you don't panic, you don't worry about stuff. And it's the same with recovery. I've got, I had really sore legs today, really sore legs. And it's because I had a break over Christmas and I didn't run. Um, but I know the next day when I run in Dubai tomorrow, oh, the day after tomorrow, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to feel that because it's my body's getting back into it. Um, and so, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's interesting. You've just got to be aware of what your body wants. Um, I always find it very difficult when people ask me for recovery advice because I've done everything. I've tried all sorts of things. Um, and ultimately, if you use your body, it's going to be sore. Um, no matter if you're Usain Bolt or, or me, you're going to have sore legs if you do a lot of running. Um, and if you try and believe if you believe completely that whatever you do in your recovery will cure it completely then you're wrong you can do bits but also it's using energy it's using time um and i just want to i want to relax so after today's run i did about 45 minutes of, of cardio believe it or not wow. i did uh i did um i did some push-ups some sit-ups um, and some hip flexor stretches um because my hip flexors are always the ones that get sore for me so i did some hip flexor stretches um, and then that was it. Nothing else. Um, so yeah, you can hardly class that as recovery. It's basically more exercise. <laughs> it's, it's, inter <laughs> it's, it's really interesting, though. I, I mean, I guess the key takeaway for me and probably the listeners listening to you there is that do what works for you. If 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 relaxation and and literally doing nothing is is what helps you to recover the best, then go for that. But if foam rolling or icing or stretching works for you, then go for that. And ultimately, listen to your body. Yeah, you're right. I've had, you know, when you get your, a tight IT band when you run, um, which runs along the outside of your leg, um, 
down to your foot all the way up to your hip. I uh, and I might I can feel them now as I'm talking to you. They're they're definitely tight, but they're not that tight that they need any work. Um, and I've had to the point where they've been so tight. I know they're close to fraying or snapping or getting very very close to injury. Um, and then all I do is I'll spend a couple of hours in the evening with a um, either a, a, a what's it called a water bottle um, that I've frozen um, and use it as a as a bit of a roller. Or sometimes I even use a fork um, yeah. just to get right into the knots and, and try and eat, eat things out. So you know there's all sorts of things, but you're right. It's just this what happens for you at the right time. So I think my main advice would be don't just do the same thing for every run. Listen to what your body needs. Understand if you've pushed yourself more, if it's been hotter, if it's been more hilly, um, when your neck's going to be running, all that sort of stuff. Just think about it logically and don't just repeat the same thing because you've seen it in the book. Yeah, makes sense. Makes complete sense. Okay, for most people, I know you're not most people, but most people would look at what you're doing and there would be some element of fear and they'd get scared like, oh, can I go and run in a certain country? That's, that scares me. Or just the whole magnitude of it is quite scary. What Do you have any fears yourself? I mean, everyone's got fears, but what are some of the fears that you have um, in life and on your journey? Do you have any? Like, what's, What sticks out for you? Yeah, yeah, good point. Um... I think I have a fear of, in life generally, I think my fear is uh, is not leaving a legacy behind, which seems silly, but um, or maybe not silly, but you know, by the time I get to my deathbed, whenever that is, hopefully it's a long time away, but I, I definitely live life um, with the knowledge that we don't know when we're going to die, and so I always want to make sure that my time up until now is used how I want to, and so my family and my friends and anybody that knows me and will sit at that funeral goes, yeah, he did what he wanted to do and, and he's left something behind. So I definitely want to leave the world better than we found it and, and give a little bit back, which is why I was starting the foundation. And so my, one of my fears is, 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 is not doing that and not doing it to the best of my ability. Um, and and I, I really, that's not kind of a, a nothing answer. That's a genuine, genuine fear that I have a, almost an anxiety about and, and have to always continue to push things like that because I, I want to, I want to have my, I want my life to be of, of worth, um, beyond the grave, if that makes sense. Um, so that's a, that's a, a life fear in terms of the, in terms of the trip. Um, my biggest fear is missing a flight. <laughs> is what, sorry? Missing a flight. <laughs> missing a flight. No, oh. There's been plenty of times when I've been close. No, my, my biggest fear is um, it's probably not raising the money for prostate cancer um, because it's something that's is very out of my hands and I think a lot of people have fears that uh, they're things they can't control. Um, and it seems silly, but you know, I feel like I can control this to an extent and keep pushing it and asking people for donations. Um, but ultimately, people need to donate in order for me to reach the goal. And Again, it's genuinely not, well, I want it to be a plug, but it's genuinely not a plug because I do have that fear, and I've said that from the beginning, that if we're going to do this, I want to reach that goal, and I won't stop until we've reached it. You know, Even if I finish, we'll still continue to raise, however in, however that, that means. However we have to get there, um, we will we'll get there. Um, so apart from those more high-level fears, I think day-to-day, there's a genuine fear of 
being in the wrong place at the wrong time, uh, which, and I mean that anywhere, you know, I don't actually really have fears of Afghanistan or Iraq or uh, those kind of places. I'm more wary. And yes, I step out of the door a little bit anxious, but it's not a fear because I'm, I'm completely content with knowing there's no other option. I'm not going to stop doing it because of that fear. Um, you can only control what you can control as well. That, that that's yeah. out of your hands. If if something's going to happen, in my eyes, if something's going to happen, it's going to happen. So, I like that attitude. Yeah. You're just going to step out. You're going to do it and 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 not worry. Yeah, it's good to have a little yeah. bit of anxiety because that'll probably fire you up a bit. But you can't yeah. spend your life thinking, "Oh, I'm in this place that's so called a bad place." It, yeah. I'm going to let it put me off. I don't think you can be like that. No, you're right. It's uh, there's. There's times when I, you know, I'm sitting in the back of a taxi or something uh, in a in a Caribbean island, for example, and we're hurtling along this road, and I catch myself and I think, hang on a minute, I've not put my seatbelt on, and I think, why have I not done that? And it's because I've not been thinking about something, or, or they haven't got a seatbelt sometimes, and I think that is an unnecessary risk. I don't need to take that, and I don't need to take that risk. And so, if I'm crossing a road like I did today in many busy highways, like eight lane highways. Um, I often think to myself, you know, I probably shouldn't be crossing the road here. And so you, you start to learn where your risk appetite is. Um, but coming back to my point about being in the wrong place at the wrong time, it could happen in the UK, it could happen anywhere. Um, and you know, just as an example, I was I always look after, I have two phones. I have one phone that is for all my contacts and making phone calls and the other one for all my media, um, music and photos and videos, etc. And if I if I was to get one stolen, it would be a it would be a pain. Put it that way. Um, and I always keep an eye on my phones. Uh, and then I was back in uh, back in London at some point last year, uh, getting a visa. And I was just standing outside of a, a tube station, and some guy came along and tried to snatch the phone out of my hand. Um, and that was a matter of him being opportunistic and me being in the wrong place at the wrong time. So it doesn't matter what country you're in you've just got to be aware of your surroundings and know that uh, that anything can happen so I, I don't I really don't think I'm that scared of much on the trip um, in terms of physical safety um, because like you say I can't control it um, uh, you know, the likelihood of coming across a kidnapping in some countries is much much higher than people think um, and so that does weigh on my mind, but it's it's not gonna it's not gonna stop me from doing things. Yeah. And you even ran down the middle of the street in Islamabad, am I right? <laughs> uh, I I did. Well, if yeah, you can do that, you can do anything. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? It was bizarre. The, only, the the best place to run was down a, the middle of a four lane dual carriageway. Um, yeah, it's just bonkers. <laughs> yeah. Okay, that what have that's brings me on to the next point, I guess. What uh, what have been some of the major standout highlights for you? The, the highest points of your trip so far and your journey so far, and what have been some of the lowest points? <laughs> oh, there's been so many, uh, so many highlights. The uh, I'll just list them off. I won't go into detail in all of them, but. Um, I, uh, I ran past an erupting volcano in Guatemala. Uh, I went to visit a uh, cancer center uh, in Panama, which was incredibly moving and, and certainly stands out. Uh, I ran with about a thousand people in El Salvador. 
Uh, I watched a disabled football match in Sierra Leone where they were all playing with one leg, which was just incredible. Um, I uh, have had the news from uh, six people that I've met on this journey that they, after speaking to me, have gone and got themselves checked for prostate cancer. Um, and uh, four of them came back saying that they hadn't had prostate cancer, they haven't got prostate cancer, but two of them did come back and said that they were diagnosed with it uh, in the early stages. Um, and therefore, you know, those conversations are incredibly powerful because it's potentially just that conversation might have saved their life. So I, I was very proud of that, and that was certainly a, a big highlight. Um, Kruger National Park, uh, you're seeing all of the animals there, jumping off... Uh, jumping off a bridge in the middle of the Zambezi River in Zimbabwe, the Zambia border, um, bungee jumping, which is just incredible. Um, and and also just spending time with some of the families that I, I stay with in these countries and, and learning about their, their country and having conversations with random people. I, I had this chat with a guy uh, in, I can't remember, Paraguay, I think it was Paraguay, um, and he was talking to me about how they gamble uh, on their birds. So you know that uh, finches, the bird. Yeah. Um, they, 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 they. Each, each of these people that gamble with these finches have them in a cage, um, get in a circle, uh, and they put money down. And whichever bird sings the fir- sings first, so makes a noise first, they they win the money. Um, and and these people gamble up to three times their annual salary on these things, Whoa. on these crazy, and you know, just these tiny conversations, snippets of, that was probably a 10 minute conversation with a random stranger on the side of a road uh, during a run. And, and, and there's just countless examples of that. So I could continue all night. There's, there's many, <laughs> many, uh, many, many examples. Um, in terms of the low lights, um, I was uh, I was mugged in, in Lagos in, in the market in Nigeria. Um, I was bitten by a dog in Tunisia. Uh, I was put in a cell for a short amount of time for a couple of hours uh, at a border after a, a big 15-hour overland journey from Gambia through Senegal into Guinea-Bissau in West Africa. Um, what else has gone on? Uh, there's been all sorts of... So I've had roughly 40 flights cancelled, um, which have needed moving around. Um, I got a tooth infection. I got food poisoning. Um, yeah, there's uh, there's been all sorts of little things, but I don't really consider any of them to be that big. I nearly got nearly got eaten by a cheetah. Um, Whoa. Very very close call with a cheetah. Um, happened to be out walking with a with a guide, and the guide went a long long way away. Um, relatively speaking, he was not near me, couldn't see me, and I happened to stumble across a, a cheetah. Um, and uh, luckily, he he was I mean he brushed past my leg, so it, we were that close, <laughs> and he didn't he didn't want to eat me. So <laughs> it's that kind of thing. You think was I very lucky? Yes, I was. So that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, there's, there's been. I've seen some of your running time, so you probably would have outrun it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I don't reckon anyone can outrun it, um, especially if they're hungry. <laughs> There's two po- uh, two things that or points that I want to point out off the back of that last section that you said. And the first one, um, 
you may know this, you may not, and the listeners might know this, they might not, but you started with the highlights and the positive things as opposed to the lowlights. So psychologically, that means you're a positive person, which I already know. <laughs> um, and yeah. the second point I wanted to point out was about um, completely off, well, it's not off topic, but is about getting checked for the prostate cancer. And one of the reasons you don't know this and the listeners don't know this, but I'm going to point this out. One of the reasons I wanted to speak to you was that recently my uncle, um, my dad's brother was diagnosed with quite severe prostate cancer. So it's something that means a lot to me as well. And what you're doing is, uh, super inspiring and I can completely relate to it and appreciate it with someone so close to me being diagnosed with that terrible, terrible disease. So, well, he's he's in he's in the latter stages of chemotherapy at the moment. He's uh, mm. they it has they told him that it's moved on to his bones as well. So they've said he could have like two to three years, but you just don't know with these things, don't you? Do you? So no. um, I'm wow. keep, we're keeping positive as a family, and I'm keeping positive, yeah. and wow. and it's it's awesome to speak to someone like yourself that's doing for something for something for something. For something. That's one thing I wanted to mention for the guys that are listening to this that. Just go and get yourself checked, and don't be scared to to get to go and get yeah, that done. Yeah, I'll yeah I'll re- reiterate that point as well, Ali. It's um so something that I didn't know about before being introduced to prostate cancer uh, um through Kev is that a there doesn't necessarily have to be any symptoms. B you can get tested incredibly easily. It doesn't have to be a finger up your bum, which everybody's scared of and embarrassed to talk about. It can be a simple blood test, especially in the Western world, and it's super easy to go and get that done. Um, And one of the things I really don't like about the cancer, other than it killing people, obviously, is that it's it's got such a stigma attached to it. People don't want to talk about it because it's to do with your prostate. Mm. And that basically means that it's killing people. Uh, more aggressively because it's it's in the wrong area of your body you know the, the breast cancer campaign for women um it so, has been so successful and they've, they've they've absolutely smashed it in my mind over the last decade or two of, of awareness um but now so last year uh, 11,442 uh women died from breast cancer uh but last year prostate cancer killed 11,819 men um, and so those stats came out and they were in the media. Um, I know, uh, um, uh, what's his name, uh, Stephen Fry talked about it, that it's now killing, prostate cancer is now killing uh, more people than breast cancer is. And yet, you look at breast cancer charities and they have, in the region of, and I'm generalising now, but two to three hundred million pounds of investment annually. Uh, and you look at Prostate Cancer UK uh, and they're, uh, without the government grant of 70, 76 million last year, um, they're only taking in 20 million pounds a year. Uh, and and it's killing more people. And so this, you know, I'm not just randomly, because I met Kev, picking this one because it's Kev. I'm picking it because it's Kev and I've done my research and it is, it is on the rise. More people are dying from it because people are living longer. Uh, there's a lot of people out there that will die without knowing they've got prostate cancer if it's in the early stages. But because the, the life the, the lifespan of, of males is increasing, or people in general is increasing in the Western world, then more people are starting to die from it. And so we need to we need to do that research, but with more than anything, we need 
to do the awareness piece. We need to get people out there. We need to get people talking about it and to know what it is uh, and to know that once you get to 40, you need to go and get yourself checked every 12 months, go to your GP, ask for a test. Um, so, yeah, I could talk about it all day. It absolutely frustrates me to bits that there are so many downfalls and one of them is this massive stigma attached to it. So um, if you're a man and you're over 40, go and get yourself checked. But if you're a woman, you have people in your life that are men. And so speak to them about it. If you want to make a joke, make them uncomfortable about it, who cares? Just as long as you get them to the point they go and get themselves checked. Um, certainly my approach when I speak to random strangers is to scare the hell out of them. Um, because it, it means that once I've finished that conversation, it sticks with them and they, and they go and do something. So it's, uh, it's, it's a topic that just it eternally frustrates me. That even after this trip, if we even if we reach the money that we want to reach, that quarter of a million pounds, um, there will still be this stigma attached to it. So we need to get some form of awareness out there that uh, that there isn't, or you know, try and try and introduce some some screening systems that are more accessible. Um, and if you look at the global stats, you know, the amount of people that don't have access to healthcare is huge. And then you look at the fact that um, one in eight white men. Um, will have prostate cancer, but one in four black men. So it's twice as likely if you're black. Um, and so <laughs> that message needs to extend to everybody. So yeah, I could, uh, I'll, I'll stop talking earlier. I know I've been talking a lot, but it's, uh, it's very close to my heart. No, I can appreciate that. It's, and it's, that's what we're doing. We're trying to raise that awareness. And the more people that know about it and the more people that get checked, then the more of a dent we can put on it. So no, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, you can talk about it, it's fine, it's, it's what you're here to do yeah. and what, what we want to do. What's next then for you, other than running another, um, how many, 90, 90 odd marathons? Yeah, what's, 94 now, yeah. What's next, um, what's next beyond, beyond the 196? What, what, what do you hope to, to achieve and do beyond this? What's, what's the vision for, for Nick? Yeah, okay, so... Uh, quite a lot going on. Um, there's a lot of stuff that's being juggled in the background. So early on in the year, we, a friend of mine, Mike, and I launched uh, our magazine, uh, which is called Wonderful, uh, wonderfulmagazine.com. Um, and the magazine is uh, initially a, a non-profit magazine designed to uh, get people talking about adventure. Um, and the strap line is uh, wonderful people doing wonderful things. So we want... Um, Articles from individuals, groups, whoever it may be, that are that are doing doing great stuff in the world, uh, leaving a legacy behind, doing what they enjoy, whether it be setting up a, I don't know, a, a boxing gym if you want, if if you know, getting some kids involved in boxing for example, or if it is going and climbing Everest, whatever it may be, we want to get people uh, get people talking about it in this magazine, basically sharing the sharing the, the, the love of, of adventure and, and doing what you love. Um, so that's one of the things that we're going to continue to progress afterwards. Um, that's very much a, a small part and on the back burner because uh, there's lots of articles coming in and it takes us a long time to collate stuff. Um, in terms of running, uh, I have a couple of other little slash massive projects uh, in the pipeline. Um, I have... In July of 2020, uh, so about nine months after I finished, uh, a friend of mine 
and then I are planning to circumnavigate Iceland um, in a month. So that's running about 900 miles uh, around the coast of Iceland uh, in a month, which we hope to, to, to set the record for that one. Um, again, there's lots of planning to be done, but we're, we're beginning to start talking about that more and having regular phone calls to understand what needs to be done with that. Um, now, beyond that, I mentioned the foundation. So the 196 Foundation will go live in April of this year. Uh, the website's created. We're just uh, doing some background bits and pieces to make it all legal. Um, and this is this is designed to be my my lifelong legacy of the trip. Um, the 196 Foundation aims to help individuals, charities, uh, small groups of people that are doing good in relatively uh, small areas in small communities. So. The concept here is that, Ali, if you wanted to support this foundation, what you can do is you donate uh, £1.96 a month, so no more, no less, uh, £1.96 a month, um, and then every year, uh, for every month that you donate for, you get one vote, uh, and then every year, we count up how many months you've donated for, give you that many votes, and then what you do is vote on who, we, who you want us to help. Um, so we'll provide you with three options. It could be like using the Hackney Boxing Gym. It could be um, building a gym, uh, supporting a, a particular person within that gym that needs some, some help. Um, it could be building a disabled learning centre in Sierra Leone, which is something that I, I really want to do. Um, there's all sorts of stuff with it, but it's designed to, to touch every country in the world eventually. So do one project uh, every year, um, and it will be very finite, very focused, um, and we won't employ anybody, so none of the money will be wasted. Um, it will all be based on volunteers and getting people out there to support these small pockets of, of need. Um, the amount of need I've seen is Af in Africa is massive, but remember, it's all relative. You know, we have a big homeless project, uh, problem that's on the rise um, all over the world, especially in the, in the States. Um, and so that leads me on to my final project, which is... Uh, I say my final project, the final one we've got planned <laughs> is uh, <laughs> at the moment, which isn't going to happen uh, until 2021. Uh, but I plan on uh, visiting all of the national parks and all of the all of the states in America um, and launching the foundation in the states, um, aiming to help uh, an individual in every state that we visit. Uh, and naturally, I'll be running a marathon in all of the national parks and all of the states in North America. Um, and that will take roughly 18 months to complete. And I will be living in a converted camper van. Uh, and I will sell the remaining uh, remaining items that I own, which isn't a lot anymore. Uh, and I will go and live in the van and, uh, and help, help as best we can um, throughout that project. So it will be a big running trip, less intensive as this trip. But the uh, the aim will be uh, giving a little bit more back and helping as opposed to uh, as opposed to doing lots of running. Um, and there's a couple of other bits and pieces on the on the on the sidelines, but there's some top secret stuff that I can't talk about yet. Okay, wow, <laughs> that's enough anyway. But never mind yeah. the other bits. Super inspiring, <laughs> amazing. Yeah. Right, I think we're going to start to wrap things up, mate. But I've absolutely loved chatting with you it's been super super inspiring and i've loved everything that you've shared and i'm sure the listeners are going to enjoy this one as well um before we kind of wrap things up 
where can the listeners go to number one find out more about you number two to donate because we want to try and get as many donations as we can and um from following you on instagram you've said that people can join you running as well so just tell us more about all of those three areas where they can find out more about you how they can donate and how they can run with you yeah so uh, well the easiest way to find out more about me is just to, to google me uh, if you just search uh, nick butter so it's n-i-c-k-b-u-t-t-e-r uh, my website is nickbutter.com the expedition website this running the world 196 is running the world 196.com uh, where you can track me you can see the photos the videos all sorts of bits and pieces um, and on social media on instagram i am uh, Nick Butter Run at Nick Butter Run. Um, so send me a message on there. Say hello. Uh, if you listen to the podcast, then I'll know where you come from. Um, so that is the, the kind of how you can get in touch. Also, just email me if you want my emails on there. If you want to come and run with me, um, I've been running with people in lots and lots of countries. Some countries aren't as appealing to others, <laughs> which isn't a surprise. Uh, but there's lots of places that I've ran with some brilliant people and I literally have friends in every country that I've been to which I really didn't expect when I I set off Uh, I've been to 102 countries um, and even coming from Pakistan a friend of a friend I now know that I'm always going to keep in touch with them because they're just lovely people and so uh, I always have these friends and it would be really nice to meet more people so if you're listening in the UK uh, and you think, well, he's run the UK already, then if you want to go on holiday, if you want to come out and run with me, if you happen to be in the same place for work or, or for, a, or for a, um, a, a getaway or something, then let me know. Um, but also you may have relatives or people that you know in other countries that could put me up for the night or maybe just come and say hello. Uh, or if they want to do a 5K, a 10K or even just a couple of hundred metres, um, you know, I, I'm not really running for pace. It's just for enjoyment and to see the city. So um, it's really nice to have people to run with. So please get in touch if, if you can help. Awesome. And they can the, donate uh, the, through the, the website the do- as well. Yeah, the donation the donation link. Um, you can, there's, there's lots of easy ways to donate. But like I said at the beginning, the easy way is just to, to search my name. If you just search Nick Butter Just Giving, Nick Butter Just Giving, then you can see uh, my page will come up. It's the top search result, uh, and you'll see everything on there. Um, alternatively, you can uh, click through from my website, which you can get there, uh, or uh, text. If you text the letters NRTW, NRTW, uh, 89, uh, and then £5 or £10, NRTW, 89, £5, to 770 770 uh, and that will go straight through to the just giving page you'll get a text back uh, and it will ask you if you want to add the additional 25 percent uh for the gift aid so uh it's very easy to, to, to do it i even did it uh, two days ago three days ago i just wanted to make sure that this function was still working from abroad uh so we had some technical hitches that it is all working um so you can just text that and the donation will go through wicked that's brilliant. I, Thank uh, you, Ali. Thank you. N- no problem. I wanted to mention one of my favourite pages on the uh, Running the World 196 page, uh, yeah. website is the stats page. So all the listeners need to go and check out the stats page because the stats are phenomenal, like absolutely 
incredible <laughs> so that is my favorite yeah. page and all of the things that you just mentioned all of the links all of the numbers and how to donate i'll put that all in the description uh, of this podcast Perfect. so people can follow that and uh, and do the bits and bobs and get in touch with you or or donate there's one thing we need to do before we wrap up this episode mate and I always finish all of my podcasts in the same way, and that is with a favourite quote. So can you just hit us with a favourite quote to finish, and this can be one of your own or one from somebody else, just just finish with a, with a favourite quote? Yeah, uh, I think my favourite quote is, failure is uh, success in progress. Nice. Uh, basically designed that if you fail and fail and fail, you are learning. Uh, and I use the example of, um, what's his name, uh, Dyson. What's his first name? I can't remember his first name. I know who you uh, mean, but the, the, the vacuum Dyson. guy. <laughs> the vacuum guy. I can't remember his first name. Dyson. Um, and he created 500 prototypes uh, of his first Hoover before he even put one on sale. Um, and he just said that he wasn't, you know, he wasn't failing. He was just learning a way to get it right. And, and that's certainly what I've experienced with my running. Um, you do things wrong lots of times and then you, you learn how to get it right. So failure is success in progress. Amazing. Thank you so much, Nick. And I wish you all the, the best on the rest of your expedition. And what you're doing is amazing. And you should be immensely proud, mate. Thank you very much, mate. It's been really nice to chat. And hopefully your, your listeners will enjoy it. And I'll, I'll speak to you when I'm, I'm further down the t- further down the line yeah nice one thanks a lot see you soon cheers mate Bye. bye that's it for episode number 34 of the kinetic fitness show thank you so much there to nick for sharing his story wow that was amazing learned so much about the guy in a short space of time there and what he's doing and the cause he's doing it for is truly truly amazing so if you can please support nick donate to prostate cancer and help him on his journey towards raising that quarter of a million pounds. I will put all of the descriptions, the links, how you can donate in the description of this podcast. So please click on that, have a look, contact Nick, get in touch with him, follow him on all the relevant social media platforms and let's support Nick as much as we can. That's it for this week. Hope you guys enjoyed this episode. I've got loads more guests to come on. I've got loads more content for you to look forward to. So keep in touch with me. Follow me on Instagram. It's Ali West Fitness. And you'll see more info about the guests that I've got on and the topics that I'm going to cover over the coming weeks and months. If you need any more help if you need support with your health and well-being and fitness do not hesitate to get in touch you can contact me directly via instagram or via email all the links to that are in the description of this podcast do not hesitate to get in touch i'm here to help you and if you have enjoyed this podcast then as mentioned at the start please like follow subscribe leave a review and share it with your friends family and colleagues as well because we need to help as many people as possible to be healthier, and to live a long, happy and joyful life. That's it for this week. Look out for another episode next week, and I will speak to you all very soon. Be strong, be healthy, be well, have a great week. Peace and love.